I am Lemuel Gonzalez, Repentant Sinner, and along with Amory Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's painless Sunday School lesson, Without Works. Thank you for joining us. In this week's episode, we are going to be discussing a subject that is front and center in today's news cycle and is one of, if not the most, divisive issue in the zeitgeist today, abortion. To discuss this giant topic, we're breaking the discussion in two. This week, we'll talk about the demographic and medical facts about abortion in the U.S. and the Christian viewpoint. Next week, we're going to discuss political and legal ramifications. This is going to kick off our first new segment, Your Own Personal Jesus. Then, to try to balance the episode, we're introducing another new segment, Stand Up and Testify, where we'll be highlighting some things we're grateful for. First up, the new segment, Your Own Personal and Jesus, where we're going to discuss ethical, political, and moral questions using the actual teachings of Jesus, clarifying extrapolations versus biblical text. Your own personal Jesus. This episode and the next are going to tackle a big subject, abortion. As such, if this isn't a topic you feel comfortable hearing about, please do what's best for you. However, if you are capable of listening, please do so. This isn't a problem that only affects others. The ripple effects of reproductive rights are vast and affect many more people than those directly involved in the incidents themselves. In this first episode, we are going to break down some facts of abortion and reproductive rights, as well as the Christian view of the subject. The next episode, we're going to discuss politicization, and legal issues around abortion and offer possible common ground. We're going to start with the five W's. Uh, We're going to look at this from a fairly scientific uh, and research-based point of view. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll start with what is an abortion. Abortion is the ending of a pregnancy by removal or expulsion of an embryo or fetus before it can survive outside of the uterus. There are several ways that this can occur. Natural means are called spontaneous abortion or miscarriage, or by outside intervention, a medical abortion. There are a number of ways that this takes place. Any questions so far? Not at all. All right. So who gets abortions? These statistics come from 2014, just so we're clear. 59% of abortions in 2014 were obtained by patients who had already had at least one birth. All right. 75% of abortion patients were poor or low income. 26% of patients had incomes of 100 to 199% of the federal poverty level. And 49% had incomes of less than 100% of the federal poverty level. Now, it should be stated that the federal poverty level at this time was $15,000 a year income for a family of two. Wow, that's pretty bad. So 200 times that is $30,000 a year for a family of two. Okay? All right. White patients account for 39% of abortion procedures. Black patients for 28 Uh, Latinx for 25, and patients of other races for 9%. 17% of abortion patients identified as Protestant, 13% 
as Evangelical Protestant and 24% as Catholic. 38% reported no religious affiliation and the remaining 8% reported some other affiliation. Between 2006 and 2015, the American abortion rate declined 26% to the lowest level on record, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. So then people identifying as Catholic, Mm -hmm. aside from those who reported no religious affiliation, were the highest rate? At that point, yes. Right, okay. Yes. And these are, of course, people who agreed to answer these questions. All right. So it may not be a perfect sample because okay. it is possible that people... Right. You All don't... Right. These are not legally required for you to answer these questions or anything like that at a, at a clinic. Okay. So this is self-reporting and still... Self-identifying as well. Self-identifying as well, yes. All right. And still fairly high percentages. So... Where and when and where do abortions take place? 66%, that's two-thirds of abortions, occur at eight weeks or earlier. 89% occur before 12 weeks. 10% occur between 13 and 21 weeks, and only 1% occur after 21 weeks. These are typically due to dire medical consequences for the mother and a pregnancy issue that leads to the fetus not developing appropriately. So after 24 to 26 weeks, Mm -hmm. a fetus is often viable in a neonatal ICU. If the fetus did not grow appropriately, though, that is not the case. And so these are the quote-unquote late-term abortions. And it's extraordinarily rare. One study of women who had abortions between 21 and 24 weeks, half were lacking critical health information about that fetus earlier in the pregnancy. One woman was told by her doctors that something in her 20-week scan looked suspicious, but it wasn't until weeks later that it was clear that the fetus had significant abnormalities. And by significant abnormalities, I mean unable to survive outside the womb outside the womb at any point even if they made it to full term this was not going to be a child it was going to be a burial Mm -hmm. the other half of women who had those quote-unquote late-term abortions had challenges finding a provider, getting the necessary approvals from doctors in the states that required them, or had financial constraints. And this is where a lot of the legal things that we're going to talk about uh, later come in. So we're talking about women who wanted this procedure done and due to where they lived, were unable to get it in a timely manner. 90% of all U.S. counties lacked a clinic in 2014, I'm going to say that again, 90, 90% of all the counties in the United States lack a clinic, and 39% of women of reproductive age lived in those counties. These are people who wanted an early abortion, tried to get one, were unable to do so because of substantial obstacles placed in their paths. In other words, they were necessitated by problematic laws rather than the desire on the behalf of these women. These are not women who are happy with their pregnancy up until their second trimester and then want to get rid of it. 
that's not what's happening in any way. They are unable to make sound decisions for themselves. All right. Uh, any... And they're not getting any sort of medical advice. Right. Because it seems like late-term abortions, in this case, looking at it statistically, uh, seems to be women who are denied the options and the information to make better choices early on. Correct. But so that the late-term pregnancies that we're hearing about that are so abominable to people right. are actually caused by mm-hmm. the lack of information, lack of health care, lack of clinics, lack of uh, people willing to carry out the procedures when it's very early on. Very early on, right. which is when most, if not all, women mm-hmm. would prefer to right. deal with this. Okay. Typically, I would say, as a woman, if you find out you are pregnant... Right. You are of one of two minds. Hooray or oh no. Right. And that does not change unless the circumstances of your pregnancy change, i.e. you become very ill or the fetus becomes very ill. Becomes very ill. I understand. The reasons patients, and now we're going to talk about why, and mm-hmm. there are as many women uh, or uterus having people as there are on this planet that's how many reasons why Mm -hmm. this could happen however the reasons that patients give for having an abortion underscored their understanding of the responsibility that comes with parenthood and family life the three most common reasons given each cited by three quarters of patients were concerns for or responsibility to other individuals the inability to afford raising a child and the belief that having a baby would interfere with work, school, the ability to care for their other dependents, i.e., I have two children. I can, I, I can care appropriately for two children. I cannot care appropriately for three children. Half said they didn't want to be a single parent or were having problems with their husband or partner because, like it or not, that woman is stuck with the baby, Mm -hmm. that man is not. Legally, morally, however you want to say it, he does not have to be there. Uh, Leah Torres, OBGYN, and Mm -hmm. uh, so she's a doctor, uh, discusses it this way. Pregnancy is a medical condition. Call it what you will. It's a health condition for which people seek medical and or health care. But people and our government treat it like it's some special exception. People often say to me, it's not a disease, it's a natural part of life. Yes, well, so are bacteria, and yet we call having an infection a disease. We cannot ignore that pregnancy alters one's physiology and puts one's health and life at risk due to these changes. We must accept this, that pregnancy, while natural, is a condition that requires medical attention. To say otherwise is to engage in reproductive coercion. Offering health insurance for prenatal care but not for abortion or infertility care is nothing short of coercion. To have policies in place that pay for and thus promote prenatal care, but then to actually prohibit funding of other forms of pregnancy care is financial coercion in reproductive health. If you are going to pay for a person to continue a pregnancy, you should also pay for that person to begin a pregnancy, as in with fertility treatments, or to end a pregnancy, as in with abortion. 
It's all part of the same health condition. If you need surgery, insurance doesn't merely reimburse for the removal of the appendix and then forego reimbursement for the incision to open the body and the stitches to close it up. Hmm. So I'm looking at this, and I understand that I can sort of look at this in a, in a rationale, cold clinical might be thought, mm-hmm. one might think light, um, of science. Um, I would also offer that I have not had an abortion. Mm-hmm. I have not been pregnant. Uh, this is, you know, I'm a woman of a certain age, so one could presume that either or both of those things would have been true, but neither is true. Uh, I am not saying that I would have an abortion. Mm-hmm. But what I am saying is that what I would do should not impact what others would do in their lives, uh, and they would know better than me what they should do. So, you have any questions on the sort of nuts and bolts? No, <laughs> about the. You presented it very well. Well, thank you. So now let's talk about the Christian view on abortion, and we're going to talk. Broadly speaking, right. to start with, right? Um, and my association with this goes back to going to a Christian high school where this was a subject that we had to debate and talk about a lot. Now, was this an abstinence-only education? Yeah, that was the, the, the teaching of it. You had to sign an agreement that you wouldn't engage in any kind of sexual activity while you were in the school. What would happen if you did? They'd uh, throw you out. And what it would happen if you were a girl... Who got pregnant? I think you would have to leave the school because you made a voluntary a pact, essentially a covenant with the school. Would you to, have to rat out the boy, and would he be held to the same standards? I don't know. I don't. That didn't happen while we were there. Oh well, so, you all um, behaved. We all behaved. We were very well behaved. Um, but uh, so I had that association with it. And we were part of, like I said, very vigorous debates on the subject, although they pretty much were preaching to the choir. Uh, The position of the Christian church has been, like it does in many major religions, outside of Christianity even, is that abortion is wrong. And this mostly goes to the reason why there's not really a meeting point between the two points of view. Right. Because abortion is seen outside the church as... A woman, as you've just described, a woman's right to make choices about her reproductive health, about how she wants to grow her family and expand her family, right? Right. Well, let's say um, people's rights to do mm-hmm. that. I, right. I don't want to... There are trans men who can have babies and do. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so I, I don't want to... But that's 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 fine. So let's just say right. a person's right to choose... To make those choices. To make those choices for uh, their body. So the way that Christianity approaches it in general is very philosophical. We're sort of extrapolating on what we've read in the Bible and, and what that means. And this is all extrapolation. There is there nothing... There is no direct reference to abortion, just like in the New Testament, in the words of Jesus, there's no direct re- reference to homosexuality. There is St. Paul makes some. And there's some in the Old Testament. But these are one of the modern issues that we deal with, that there is not a direct reference saying this. Gotcha. So the question becomes, for people of the Christian faith, when life starts, mm-hmm. and the uncertainty as to when life starts is what, what uh, gives them the notion that 
since we don't know exactly when it starts, this means that it could be human life in danger and that abortion is murder. Okay. So right. they they are viewing this as as soon as no, Im- that's uh, it. Right. as soon as what as, as soon, typically as as soon as implantation occurs well, is that that's the question when it begins and it's the lack of certainty about it oh so just if mm-hmm. since we don't know we err on the side of, of it's caution. a life right it's a life now there are certain scriptures that give the impression that there's a consciousness and life and intelligence inside the womb. Uh, the most popular of these would be in Christianity uh, when Mary, who's heavy with child at this point, visits Elizabeth, who uh, is about to give birth to John the Baptist, the child who becomes John the Baptist. Okay. And that when she nears Mary, the baby inside of her womb leaps with joy. Okay. Because I was going to say, if we're right. ascribing this personhood to Jesus in mm-hmm. the womb, that's unfair. That's apparently right. God. So... That seems crazy to have all babies live up to it, but you're saying it was John right. the Baptist. Right, this child. Fe- the fetus that will be John the Baptist. And right. probably we're talking about heavily pregnant at this point, too. We're yes. not talking about it. Okay. Yes, so we're talking about that. Um, also, there's a, a reference in uh, the Book of Psalms, and it's understanding the Book of Psalms are long poems. Yes. Some of them are very short poems. That were written, uh, some are ascribed to David, some are directly given to David, and some uh, aren't. Uh, Psalm 139, 13 through 15 gets cited a lot. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. So that reference is a poetic reference, and it's a beautiful poetic reference. There's a lot of wonderful imagery there associating the the depths of the womb with the depths of the earth. Right. Um, So whether or not that was ever meant to be taken literally is another question. I would say that probably nothing in Psalms was meant to be taken literally, but... I I think that... But it's lovely, right? (laughs) Yes, that's fine. And there's that reference that makes people wonder, well, what is it talking about? When does a human being have consciousness and when is it life? Right. Uh, the American Presbyterian Church, the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran Church are all pro-choice. However, even they have real restrictions on the extent to which they're, they're willing to endorse abortion. The Catholic Church is very much against it, and it's a part of the catechism. Right. That you, you, know, you, you can't prevent a birth from happening, that this is the will of God, in essence. Um, and I'm and that to... includes rape and incest, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it does not. It didn't used to. The and we've got they. We've the sides have gotten very extreme. Yes. So it used to be uh, that there were allowances made in those cases, in the case of incest, in the case of rape, in the case of a child that was biologically unable right, to biologically survive, unable to survive, or the, whose life would be such a severe hardship that it would be impossible for the parent to provide for them, even inside with the support of a church community. That was not looked down upon. But it... That's tricky, because that that also tips into eugenics. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which is another issue. Because remember, this is... Their issues are going to be philosophical rather than scientific. And that's also another clash. You could look at it 
as their assumption is since we don't know where life begins, we're going to err on the side of caution. The scripture seems to suggest that at some point we have a living, thinking consciousness inside the mother's womb. When that happens, are we then committing murder by getting rid of the child? Right. And and you are placing both lives equal to each other? Yes, that's what they do. Because the child, that that's the point of view. And I know that seems... I'm curious. Uh-huh. It's not a it's not a question we can answer. Okay. If men carried children, if that would still be the case. No, I don't know. Because it's men making these rules mm-hmm. in the church. Right. So, it, I mean, yes, it's it, as interesting as a thought experiment that might be. It's we can't. It's not something we can litigate. So, to quote the Catechism, right on the subject. Human life is sacred because from its beginning it involves the creative action of God and it remains forever in a special relationship with the Creator, who is its soul and God alone is Lord of life from the beginning until the end. And no one under any circumstances claim for himself the right directly to destroy an innocent human being because that is the point of view. Right. An innocent human being is in peril. They're not going to see it as a woman's rights issue. Even if that woman is in peril? No, if the woman is in peril, yes. The life of the woman is more important than the life of the unborn child. Although, we'll talk about this, I think, next week, where that has actually gotten extreme. It goes on, Do not slay the innocent and righteous. The deliberate murder of an innocent person is gravely contrary to the dignity of the human being, to the golden rule, and to the holiness of the Creator. The law forbidding it is universally valid. It obliges each person always and everywhere. Okay. So that's the position of the church, the okay. Catholic church. It That's reflected in the positions of many other branches of the Christian church. Right. That it, this is about life, and this is life is sacred, and this being is conscious. The act of uh, a human soul being created is an act, of, a creative act of God, and therefore stopping it, preventing it from coming into the world to fulfill a purpose is wrong. Now, the questions that you raised from strictly the point of view of the scientific point of view Mm -hmm. and also the sociological point of view, I think when you begin that conversation with people who have this religious upbringing, the scientific view is going to matter less than the sociological point of view. And when we talk in our next conversation about how to bring that to bear, this is where to do it. Because religion and science are often at odds with each other not because they're in direct conflict, but because they represent completely different ways of thinking. Right. When we talk about it next week, you know, we're going to solve this next week, guys. <laughs> right? Yes, we That's what's going to happen. When we talk about it, we're going to talk about it in terms of a bigger picture, mm-hmm. I think. We're not trying to talk anybody into or out of anything. Right. I do want to put that out there. What's happening right now in this country around this subject is extraordinarily dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and it's dangerous for reasons that I don't think everyone thinks about. Like, it's it's rippling effects, as I said at the beginning. So we want to sort of explore that, uh, the and specifically the politicization. There you go. I'm in. And the legal ramifications that come along with that. Uh, so we will discuss that further next week. So mm-hmm. this week, or this, we've got... 
session. Oh, yes. Yeah, it won't be in a week. It's going to be a little bit longer than that. So next time, we're going to talk about political exploitation of single-issue voters. We're going to talk about legal ramifications. um, And we're going to talk about how pro-choice doesn't mean pro-abortion. Right. I think that's that's our fundamental thesis uh, mm-hmm. for next time. Yes, I think so. Next up this week, another new segment where we speak on what we are grateful for in the world as a reminder that though a lot of things are bleak, there are shining lights to be found. This is Stand Up and Testify. I said I wasn't going to testify, but I could keep it to myself. Oh, So I have two items in the news that have made me both happy and mad, Mm -hmm. but ultimately happy. And the first thing is the backlash to the backlash of the casting of the live-action Little Mermaid movie. Okay. So Halle Bailey, Mm -hmm. which is not Halle Berry. But Halle Bailey. Halle Bailey who is an extraordinarily lovely and talented young woman, has been cast as the the Ariel Mm -hmm. in the live-action Little Mermaid movie that we don't need. But that's fine. They're making it, and this is who they've cast. Now, Ariel from the cartoon is a white... White? Like... Red-headed... Will Wheaton? ...character, also a cartoon, with a shell bra. Okay. Halle Bailey is a young black girl mm-hmm. with pipes for days. This girl can sing. Does she have a shell bra? I don't know if they're going to put her in a shell bra. I doubt okay. she owns one herself. All right. The first thing I saw was a bunch of people being excited, especially mm-hmm. because um, a lot of people who work in Disney and like Disney stores said that Ariel is extremely popular among little black girls. Oh, I didn't know this. This is not a thing that I knew either, but apparently that's true. I also saw a bunch of things like, as a red, as a red-haired, you know, white woman who was, you know, nine when Ariel or when the Little Mermaid came out, mm-hmm. I went from being the awkward girl right. to being like praised for my red hair because I was like Ariel. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for little black girls to have the same experience. Right. That's the appropriate response. The inappropriate response is science says that mermaids are white, which science has never said any such thing. Uh, Mermaids are not real. (laughs) What is wrong with you? Hashtag not my Ariel. I might might have to stop you there. (laughs) They were trying to... There were people arguing... Science says that mermaids are white. There were people arguing that because they live under the sea, mm-hmm. where the sun isn't, okay. they would all be albino. And then the response to that is, have you ever seen a fish? Because fish come in all sorts of colors, but... Whales are blue. Okay, this what is wrong with you? A more disturbing also, argument. Also, mermaids like, aren't real. Well... <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm very confused by this. I... So there was all of this. Ariel's supposed to be white. You're ruining my childhood. Uh, Hashtag not my Ariel. Okay. Bullshit. And then there was backlash to all of those dumb racists. And that is what I am excited about. Is a bunch of people just shutting trolls on the internet down. Look, here's the real thing. The cartoon version of Little Mermaid isn't going anywhere. They are not going to burn every copy when they release this new movie. Your Ariel is fine. And if your Ariel is that redheaded one, go have at it. Now it's time for a new Ariel. And she's beautiful and talented. Shut your mouth. Enjoy this movie. Idris Elba for Triton. Okay. (laughs) I just don't understand why... And again... As a writer, I get bothered when there's a change in a long-term character. I know you do, and I don't. Um, because I think that it's just like it would bother me if something that I wrote was changed so drastically. However, Disney's version is a far cry from Hans Christian Andersen's version. Oh, yes, for sure. And Even so, though that was the other thing, right. is people were like, well, he's Danish, and so it was definitely a white mermaid. And in the book, maybe it was. Mm-hmm. But in the book... She turned into sea foam. There was not a happy ending. Right. Every time she took a step, it was like stepping on knives. They don't talk about that in the movie. Right. This is a Disney film for children. Right. And now we're going to have more children getting to see themselves on screen. And that is only a good thing. It's right. only a good thing. And if you need to see a redheaded Ariel, guess what? There is one. Right. And she's not going anywhere. Yeah, I just, this is one of the cases where I don't get it. I don't get what the big deal is. But then again, I'm not invested. I was. I am invested. I've seen them. I saw The Little Mermaid dozens of times because my brother really liked it. Mm -hmm. He was little, little when that movie came out, like seven or something. We had the VHS, and like you do when you have a VHS and a small child, you watch it over and over again. I really like that movie. Well, I like the better uh, representation. I mean, there was a black character in the movie, and it was a crab, right? Well, they he definitely sounded like he should have been a black character. Right. I mean, he was red, because right. he was a crab. But Sebastian had a distinctly ethnic a- accent. Right. Well, I know the actor. If, if Sebastian is where they are, they are in the Caribbean, and she would have been mm. black anyways. Your thing isn't going anywhere. No one's replacing it. They're making another version, and it's going to be amazing. Hashtag Lizzo for Ursula, or Titus Burgess for Ursula. I don't even care. Either one of those. I'm down with either one of those. I think it's going to be amazing. It's the first of these live-action movies that I'm, like, a little bit excited about, although the Mulan trailer dropped, and it looks pretty good. Disney's been white for a very long time. I'm excited to see this movie. I'm excited to see her in it. And I'm excited that m- much of the internet stood up and sh- made the trolls sit down. Or just out your racism and we can just cancel you. That's fine. The second thing I want to talk about real mm-hmm. quick is chance engendered by the women's team winning the World Cup for the second year in a row. And those two chants are <laughs> one... In the back of a Fox News uh, live on site mm-hmm. uh, bar in France, where a bunch of Americans yelled F Trump mm-hmm. repeatedly 
and F Fox News too, I believe. Uh, in a in a show of beautiful solidarity with the women's team. I was very on board for that. Who was criticized by Trump, right? Of course I mean, it was. He, there yes. was a personal criticism he, leveled at them. He criticized uh, all of the people on that are on Fox, even right. though the guy who was there had nothing to do with it and was right. he, like he was embarrassed when it happened. Yeah. He was like, uh, I'm live and I can't get out of this and yeah. they are yelling obscenities in my camera. Uh, I don't know what to do here. The second thing and the better thing to me was the entire stadium started chanting equal pay. Oh, that's good. So women's soccer, the women's uh, World Cup soccer team, these are professional soccer players, and the women's World Cup drew better ratings this year than last year's uh, men's final. The U.S. men's team has never won a World Cup. The U.S. women's team has won four. Mm. So pay the pay the women what they're worth. So what is your testif- testification? Uh, St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Detroit, Michigan just instituted renovations in a program. They got a grant uh, from the Episcopal Church to begin clearing out their basement, getting rid of the asbestos, installing showers, for homeless people to provide meals and also bathing facilities, so like facilities a, for washing their clothes. Oh, that's for good. job interviews. This started because there was a few years ago a homeless man who collapsed in their church. He was attending services. Oh, and it turned out he had a terrible infection that forced the amputation of both of his legs. Oh, Jesus! And the congregation, which is very small there, there's only 30 active members in this church, was horrified. So. They wound up teaming up, being that there was enough people and enough fundraising possibilities, mm-hmm. with a local synagogue. They had a, uh, I think it's called a mitzvah day, where they bring in members of the local synagogue and they all sit down and break bread together. And they began working together to raise funds to change their basement into a big facility with showers, with washing machines. Are they going to have beds? Are they meals. making... Um, I believe so. I believe that's the next step. But they want Detroit to... gets cold, man. Mm. Put some beds in. The Episcopal Church recently granted them seventy thousand dollars to do the renovation. Well, that's great. You know how fifty thousand of that's going to go to asbestos removal. It's very right. expensive. But they have support, an ecumenical support from mm-hmm. Jewish and even Muslim groups in the area. They're all coming together. They're like, to you provide... have the facility. Right. We'll you help have the facility. It. We will help with the money. We will help with the manpower. There are people, you know, there's one woman uh, in the article I read who actually went so far as to saying, well, that's my church and this is my synagogue. So, all working together, which is kind of what we're about, I think. Here, yeah. Is the idea that everyone sort of puts their back in, backs into it. But the experience of losing this person in the church, or rather having this person suffering this horrible um, health problem, put them all in the mind that, these are people who are a vulnerable community. They can't, I mean, just cleaning soap and water would yep. do so much to improve the health conditions of these people. Mm-hmm. And it's families also. Yep. So they went through a great deal of trouble. They did a great deal of work. They're now going to open this up. That's being carried out through, again, gives a lot of uh, credence to the Episcopalians and their approach to Christianity. So I'd like to sort of give a shout out to them. They've done a great job. And they have installed a new boiler 
enough hot water for the showers and washers, determined how much electricity would be done. They uh, they raised most of the $250,000 that was necessary. Wow. And they're really on their way to do it. And it's going to become, you know, just a... Uh, a great resource to the community. So, and and they're feeding them as well. There was already a meal program in place. Okay. And so it started with the meal program. It went to the shower program. It went to the washing machines. It went to the, the... washing machines. Is interesting. There's uh-huh. a school that I saw a news piece on, mm-hmm. and at it's a low income school in an urban area. But I couldn't tell you more than that. But one of the things that the new principal did mm. was institute a room full of washing machines because some of the kids were mm-hmm. not coming to school because they were embarrassed exactly. because they couldn't have couldn't get clean clothes on their own so they put in washing machines that these kids could use and it it made truancy numbers go down significantly because they weren't being mocked for having having dirty clothes and... yeah well here's the interesting thing about this program though I, re- I believe originally the washing machines were installed so that people could go out and look for jobs right. and find employment, mm-hmm. and uh, and that becomes important. You and I have both seen people go to work outside of homeless encampments and come back at the end of the day. We've seen that happen yes, near our home, and it's terrible, you know. Uh, but what uh, the next step after having all of this done is actually training some of the homeless that are attending there to operate the washing machines and operation them for a self-sustaining, a commercial operation led outside of the church, like a laundromat, where people are the uh, the church would run it. It can't really as a nonprofit, but be able to train people how to use, operate, and repair the machines, and then that's the step going forward. Right, is so that they can actually find employment for the people who are using the services there. Right. It's like, we can get you a bath, we can get you a job, we can wash your clothes, we can feed you, and we can start putting you back on your feet. Yeah. So, and again, the fact that it's multiple faiths coming together to do this is a really beautiful thing. You don't see this really much in the world. Or rather, you do see it, but you don't hear about it. No, you see it, and but a lot of times when you hear about it, it's post mm-hmm. some sort of horrible disaster right. that befell one group of faith. Mm-hmm. Where the other people of faith in the community come out to support that. Right. When a synagogue is attacked, then the Muslims come out. That's when we hear about it. When one group is under attack, but right. when the whole community comes together for the lesser right. fortunate in the same community, we don't. Hear and there's about that. no, there's no kind of uh, there's a recognition. You have the space. We have the resources. Mm-hmm. We have the congregation to raise money. We're all going to work together. Like to do it's it. not a not in my backyard. Right. Like you guys take care of this. It's a we don't have the space, but we right. can help get the space we you have prepared. But yeah, that, that that's my thing. I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the, the the community of this church. I'm grateful for the people around them that are supporting them. I'm grateful for getting everyone to work together for the common good. I'm very grateful. We have a terrible homeless problem. In our city and in our, you know, frankly... In our state and in most of the country. Just as we've mentioned before in the podcast, a mile away from here, there are tents spread all under the overpasses and people living. Less than a mile in some cases. I can walk there in five minutes where there's some other... uh, There's just a row of tents and people are living out of them. And some of these are people with jobs. Some of these are families. So the idea that there's someone working to try to free people out of that situation 
and put them back on their feet and give them, I think, even wash clothes is such a, and being able to take a bath, that leads to a person's self-respect and self-esteem. And that's really, a lot of times, what we let go when we get broken. Mm-hmm. So restoring people to health, that's that's kind of the job of the church as a whole. And the fact that it's all branches of the church is what's making me happy. So, Hooray! Okay. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you like it, please subscribe and leave us a review and share it with a friend. We have an internet home, withoutworkspodcast.com. Our show notes, links to stories we talk about, and transcripts for our episodes can be found there. We're also reachable at withoutworkspod at gmail.com and on Twitter at withoutworkspod. And on Facebook, just search Without Works Podcast. All that information is on the website as well, so go there and have a look around. I've been Lemuel, and she's been Amity, and we urge you to get out there and do something good. Yeah!